a cold January 6th in 1853, the 115 Boston and Maine train pulled out of Andover Station, heading north to Concord, New Hampshire. On board was President-elect Franklin Pierce. He was less than two months from taking the oath of office as the nation's 14th chief executive and the first president from New Hampshire. He, his wife Jane, and only surviving son Benny had just spent the holidays with Jane's sister at 48 Central Street in Andover. Jane's brother-in-law was John Aiken, an agent for a Lawrence textile firm as well as an executive for a company in Lowell. Aiken was also a benefactor of Phillips Academy in Andover, the school that young Benny Pierce was to attend. The Pierce family boarded the train at Andover Station, about a half mile from the Aiken home. Not long after the train pulled out from the depot, it had traveled maybe a mile or so, tragedy struck. The train hit some rocks that were on the track, causing it to derail and tumble down an embankment. The president-elect and his wife Jane were fine, just some bumps and bruises, but there were many serious injuries. Despite the enormity of the accident, there was only one fatality, the Pierce's 11-year-old son, Benny. Franklin and Jane Pierce had narrowly escaped death, but the accident forever changed the young parents. As can be expected, they were never the same. Jane more or less begged off on all duties associated with a first lady, and it also dampened all the political ambitions of Franklin Pierce, even before his term began. With just a slight twist of fate, had the president-elect perished, the future of the nation would have been altered. We would have had an unelected president. As it happens, Pierce's vice president never truly took office. William Rufus Devane King became ill shortly after his election. He traveled to Cuba for a cure. On Inauguration Day, he was too sick to return to Washington, so he took the oath of office just outside Havana. Although a short time later he did manage to make it back to the U.S., to his home in Alabama, he died before ever performing any of his duties. If Pierce had been killed and the vice presidency vacant, David Rice Atchison, president pro tem of the Senate, would have served as acting president for the full term. Atchison later served as a Confederate general. Pierce did survive the accident, however, So that scenario did not happen, but the awful accident did indeed have its effect on the president and in turn the nation. And it's also history. Let's back up a little and talk about who Franklin Pierce was and how this dark horse candidate made it all the way to the White House. He was born in Hillsborough, New Hampshire in 1787, the sixth child of Benjamin and Anna Pierce. His father later became governor of New Hampshire. Franklin went off to Bowdoin College, and upon his return to Hillsborough, he was elected to his first public position, town meeting moderator. He met Jane while at college. Her father was the school's president. 
Many of their contemporaries, right from the start, felt that they were a mismatch. He was outgoing and loved social gatherings. She was an introvert. He was known to be a drinker, while she remained a teetotaler. At the age of 24, he was elected to the New Hampshire legislature, and as soon as he became of age, he was chosen as a U.S. senator. Although he quickly moved up the political ladder, his home life was tragic. His first son died just days after birth. The second son succumbed to typhus at age four. Following this second death, Jane asked him to quit politics and come home, which he did. He resigned his Senate seat and started a law practice in Concord, New Hampshire. His professional life, though, was quite successful. He succeeded at everything. He was appointed Attorney General of the state, then resigned to fight in the Mexican War, rising to the rank of Brigadier General. Jane Pierce insisted that Franklin stay out of politics as she felt it brought out the worst in men. But the pressure that was applied to him by the Democratic Party proved too powerful. At the convention, his name was put up for president. He wrote that his nomination would be utterly repugnant to my tastes and wishes. The 1852 convention was deadlocked, and party honchos felt that Pierce, a northerner with sympathy for the South, was possibly the only man who could unite the nation. On the 49th ballot, he received the nomination. He didn't refuse. His party was impressed with his track record. He never lost an election. He faced Whig candidate Winfield Scott, who coincidentally was Pierce's commanding officer in the war. Continuing his winning streak, he won the general election. Although the nation had chosen him, it was not celebrated in his own home. When his wife Jane heard the news, she fainted. It was also reported that son Benny was opposed to him becoming president as well. He said he knew his mother did not want to move to Washington. Following his election and before the inauguration, the family headed to Andover to relax and spend the holidays with family. Andover was like a second home to the Pierce family. They had ties to the area. Franklin's father was born not too far away in Chelmsford, a neighborhood that's now part of Lowell. Many in the family had attended Phillips Academy, just south of Andover Center. On January 6th, the Pierces and the Aikens said their goodbyes. The holidays were over, and Franklin Pierce needed to prepare for his presidency. Their plan was to head back to Concord, pack up, then head to Washington, D.C. for the March 4th inauguration. According to news reports of the time, the train had made its way out of Andover Station when there came a violent jolt, followed by sudden wrenching and frightful jerking. Apparently, there were some rocks on the track. The freezing weather made the axle very brittle. When the rocks came in contact with the axle, it broke. Several of the train's cars, including the one containing the presidential family, derailed and toppled down a 15-foot embankment. They crashed into a rock field below and broke apart. All the passengers were tossed and turned and thrown out into the cold ground. Most received varying degrees of injury. Unfortunately, young Benny, who was looking out the window when the accident took place, was horribly maimed. 
When Franklin and Jane extricated themselves from the wreckage, they found their boy, the only fatality. Although Franklin tried hard to shield Jane from the sight of their child, he did not succeed. The image never left her. The young Pierce's body was taken by cart back to the Aiken house, where a funeral was later held. Twelve of Benny's classmates served as pallbearers. Franklin and the boys accompanied Benny's body to Concord for burial. Jane was not able to bring herself to attend. She instead remained at her sister's Andover home. Jane was convinced that Benny was taken from them so that Franklin could devote himself to his new duties. She never forgave her husband for becoming president. After the accident, several victims of the crash sued the B&M Railroad, but Jane refused to take part. She said that the sacrifice of Benny was the price for her husband's ego and ambitions. On Inauguration Day, as Franklin Pierce rode up Pennsylvania Avenue, sitting next to his predecessor, Millard Fillmore, Jane was nowhere to be seen. She stayed with friends in Baltimore instead of attending. Rather than taking the oath of office on a Bible, as is tradition, Pierce instead chose a law book. In his address, he made reference to the tragedy, saying, You have summoned me in my weakness. You must sustain me by your strength. There was no inaugural ball. As First Lady, Jane Pierce refused to take part in any public events, nor did she greet visiting dignitaries. Instead, she invited spiritualists and wrote notes to her son, sometimes remaining in her room, where she carried on conversations with him. One newspaper called her the shadow in the White House. In an attempt to cheer her up, Franklin Pierce erected the White House's first Christmas tree. She finally relented and attended the 1855 New Year's reception, but she wore a black gown. Franklin Pierce tried to appease both sides of a looming conflict that would result in the Civil War. He even appointed Jefferson Davis to his cabinet as Secretary of War. He supported the Kansas-Nebraska Act, which led to more conflict over the issue of slavery. The South did not accept this New Englander, and back home he was reviled for his capitulation to the South. Throughout much of his presidency, Jane stayed in Andover rather than the White House. Franklin, in order to be near her, set up the Aikens' home as his summer White House. Although Pierce had many ties to Andover and spent a lot of time there, he was not a popular local figure. Harriet Beecher Stowe, famously the author of Uncle Tom's Cabin and an ardent abolitionist and an Andover resident, always made sure she wasn't home whenever Pierce was in town. In 1856, Pierce, a more or less beaten man by then, tried for and lost his party's nomination for re-election. His remaining years were not happy ones. His drinking steadily increased, and 12 years after leaving political office for the final time, he died of cirrhosis. Jane preceded him in death by six years, succumbing to tuberculosis while at Andover. Franklin Pierce is one of our more forgotten presidents. This is in part due to his lack of a constituency, and partly because he not only was a one-term president, but is in the rare category of a sitting president not even able to get his party's renomination.
He does live on in one way, however. Back during his campaign, a good friend of his, none other than Nathaniel Hawthorne of the House of Seven Gables and a Scarlet Letter fame, wrote a biography for him called The Life of Franklin Pierce. The two men were not really aligned politically, but Hawthorne was willing to help out an old college friend. They both attended Bowdoin. The result was an over-the-top love fest by Hawthorne. It was printed on time for the election. Even that book, however, was forgotten as soon as Pierce was out of office. That is, until 2001. An eighth-grade class from the Kenneth A. Brett School in Tamworth, New Hampshire, was on a field trip to Salem, Massachusetts. While at the House of the Seven Gables on Turner Street, social studies teacher Brian Wigan asked a curator why Hawthorne's book on the life of Pierce had not been reprinted while all Hawthorne's other books had been. The curator said, well, that's up to the people of New Hampshire. Challenge accepted, he felt. The eighth grade classes at the school decided as a project to dust it off, add some notes, and republish it. That is, when they were able to find an original copy. What they produced is a highly polished edition proclaiming the life of a favorite son from a state which every year starts off the election process with the first primary, but has had to date only one president, one whose star began to fade even before his presidency on an awful January day on a railroad embankment in Andover. Thanks for listening. Come back next time for more Tales and Tidbits of New England as we dig out another story from Allen's Archives.